Anyanga Seo, welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the Halley wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokey and listen to your new favorite unis. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi there. So we have been talking in Slack a little bit, and I have admitted that I'm not really a pool person, mostly like a public pool or a pool where there's like a lot of people. But this summer, we needed something to do with our children. So my husband kind of looked into some pool memberships, and we joined. So it's not a public pool, like you have to get a membership, but it's still like, you know, tons of people I don't know. Okay. And I'm just not really into it. But you know, my kids love it and I need to do something with them. So wait, Megan, can you tell us why you're not into it? Tell us about the smell of pool people. Oh, (laughs) I have this weird thing. I think wet people smell. (laughs) I I know people talk about how like wet dogs have a smell and I think like wet people have a smell. And I know that's weird. I know it's weird. Is this just pool water or is this all water like beach water, lake water? Just no, I mean like pool. I mean pool water. For sure. It's pool water. Like, I don't care when people, like, get out of the shower. It's, like, something <laughs> they about... cleanse their body. <laughs> yeah. If they have, like, body wash, it's okay. I think it's something about the chlorine and the smell of wet swimsuits. I think that is a thing. I know. I'm weird. I acknowledge <laughs> that. Okay? And, of course, like, my husband is the one who is, like, this is a great idea. But I'm the one who ends up taking the children. Okay? I have two children. They're eight and ten. <sighs> so, the first day I take them... So my son isn't like the best with new situations. And I know that about him, but you know, I'm only human. So I still get frustrated sometimes with him. So he didn't want to get in the pool. He didn't want to get in the water. And I was like, are you kidding me? You're excited to come here. So, you know, we kind of like battled and finally, I mean, we'd been there for like an hour. I had to like stand right by them. Finally, they got in the shallow end by themselves where there was like this little slide. And I was like, okay, I have five minutes to myself. I just want to sit on my towel and I don't have a beach chair yet or anything like that. So I just have a towel. And the way the pool is, obviously it is very open. Like where our towel was, it was very, very open. There's like, I mean, an acre of land all around me. There's tons of people. There's like people playing beach volleyball behind me. And I was wearing like shorts over my bikini bottoms. Okay. So I was like, I'm going to take my shorts off. It's really hot. (laughs) Again, I'm standing up. I am like five feet from the edge of the pool, which is packed. I lower my bottoms. (laughs) I lower my shorts. And I was like, this feels kind of different. I had taken down both my shorts on my bikini bottoms. I'm talking to my knees. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) And I need to explain to you, I am extremely pale. Okay, on normally like, but then of course, like my white ass is extremely, I mean, I, it was probably fluorescent to the people behind me. I'm surprised a lifeguard didn't come over and like, kick me out for exposing myself because it just all came down. I mean, I immediately yanked up, obviously, my bottoms and I was like, I cannot believe this. Like, it was a cursed day. Thank God my kids weren't standing there because they wouldn't have let me live it down. But I like texted my husband and I was like, (laughs) I was like, I just flashed this entire pool and he just writes back and he's like, I'm never going there. I'm never going to be seen with you. You're probably on like their blacklist now. (laughs) So yeah, that was one of my most, and I mean, I've had a lot of embarrassing moments, but that in my life, because that's just me, but that was 
horrible, horrible. I mean, <laughs> teenagers all around me, they're like, that old lady. <laughs> I just <laughs> saw her booty. <laughs> She just smoothed me with her white ass. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, I went back, but the next time I went, I put on a one piece because I was like, this isn't, I'm, <laughs> I learned my lesson. This is not happening again. Live and learn. Yeah, live and learn. Anyway, that's my story for the week. Thanks for listening and for having some sympathy for me. Maybe we need to have you do like a reenactment for Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> do a real yeah do a real, yeah, do a real. <laughs> i'll put like a pretend green screen behind it you know like in the tiktoks where they have like a green screen and i'm just like Whoop. oh god <sighs> and i've been back since like i said i've been back i faced my fears it was like a horse you know if you fall off you got to get back on <laughs> <laughs> And I don't want to like add to your trauma, but I'm kind of more concerned about the front end. Oh, me too. Trust me. That's <laughs> who saw the front end? The pool. Yeah. You went to your knees. It, seriously. No, I'm <laughs> trust me. I definitely flashed the whole kitty. Like <laughs> I think I would rather show butt than bush personally. Well, I showed, I showed both. Okay. Like was butt facing the pool or was bush facing no. the pool? Bush was facing the pool. My butt, my butt was behind me. <laughs> Your butt's always behind you. What? <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, the the beach volleyball things were behind me, and actually, another pool was behind me. There's two pools there. But then the main pool was right in front of me, like with all the kids lined up for the diving boards. Just yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm surprised I didn't get kicked out. I mean, people get <laughs> put in jail for that. <laughs> so, but I mean, you're on an offender watch list. Now. Seriously, I mean, oh, it was terrible. It was it was just terrible. All right. Well, now that we've established that Megan's butt <laughs> is behind her, let's move on and talk about our drama for the day. So Fight for My Way centers around two lifelong friends, Choi A-Ra, played to perfection by Kim Ji-Won, and Ko Dong-Man, played with so much heart by Park Seo-Joon. They are working class with day jobs that don't match their dreams. A-Ra works at the information desk at a department store instead of living her dream as a TV anchor, and Dong-Man is a pest control company employee instead of kicking ass as a promising athlete. These two have been besties since childhood, and what's between them might be more than platonic. Their friends, Bake Sul Hee, played by Ha Yoon Song, and Kim Joo Man, played by An Jae Hyung, have been seriously dating for six years and talk about marriage. However, the plans keep getting derailed by money problems and lately an intern who seduces Juman every chance she gets. Fight for My Way is written by a K-drama writer that we love to fan over, Im Sang-chun, and was inspired to write this show due to the real-life struggles of Japanese mixed martial artist Yoshihiro Akiyama and his wife, Japanese model Shiho Yano. In an interview with Soompi, he said, I started getting interested in martial arts when I saw Chu Sung-hoon and Yano Shihu together. It felt sad watching Yano Shihu cry as she watched her husband fight in a match. I started paying more attention to the families of martial arts fighters, he went on to say. I always thought martial arts fighters usually liked drinking and women, but I found that they actually live simple lifestyles. In order to maintain their form, they have no choice but to kind of live like a monk. I wanted to get rid of the stereotypes surrounding martial arts fighters. I studied a lot by going to a lot of matches and watching a lot of videos. The stories of the family members who couldn't bear to watch the matches were really sad, and watching the fighters who lost the match cry as they walked out of the ring felt really sad. 
How do you rate this drama compared to the other drama in Sang Chun wrote that we recently deep dive when the camellia blooms? I really liked Fight for My Way a lot. I think it was my first friends to lovers drama and I just adored it. But I loved Camellia. I feel like Im Sang Chun was on the right track with Fight for My Way. But what kind of fell a little flat for me was the heroine's mom's backstory. And that was kind of a little bit left field and underdeveloped. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. It almost felt kind of unnecessary to the story as a whole. Whereas in Camellia, I thought every story had a purpose and worked so well with the big picture. So I agree with Amy. I felt like Fight for My Way was almost perfect. And In Sang Chun learned a lot from the experience of writing it. So when he wrote Camellia, he was on his A game. I mean, it really, to me, felt like a progression of just his ability and his talent, which means I cannot wait to see what he writes next. Yeah. And again, just like I said in Camellia, a man wrote this drama. So Im Sang Chun, please be my best friend and continue to disrupt toxic masculinity in such wonderful ways. So who do you think would like this drama and who might not? I mean, any fan of Park Seo-joon and Kim Ji-won would love this. And if you aren't a fan of either or both, then we need to talk. But as far as not liking it, I mean, if you like your romances to have big, high-stakes drama, then this isn't for you. If you need chables in your drama, then this isn't for you. But if you like characters with big personalities and big goals of their own, plus an adorable romance, then I think this will check all your boxes. Yeah, I mean, for me, I would just say, if you really like chemistry among your romantic leads, this is for you. I mean, and a true progression of friends to lovers. I mean, if friends to lovers is your trope, then this is truly, to me, one of the best friends to lovers I've ever seen or read. And what does the title Fight for My Way mean to you? So I mentioned a few minutes before that each character has their own big goals aside from the romance. And that's really, to me, what the title embodies. Fighting for your dream, even if you feel like you weren't meant to be a dreamer. And this gets talked about a lot in the drama. And I really loved the sort of discussions that Dong Man and Aira have about dreams and why they do dream or why they don't dream. And then eventually, you know, sort of achieving those dreams. And I liked that those dreams were outside of the romance. Yeah, this is actually one of the few dramas where I really liked the title. It had, you know, basically two meanings. The characters really did have to fight, not just physically, for what they wanted out of their lives. They kind of did feel like they were like clawing up a hill, fighting to get their dreams, despite multiple setbacks. And so it was a perfect title. And so thinking about tropes, what do you think it is that makes friends to lovers tropes fun to watch or read? Megan already brought up the chemistry, but what you have when you have characters who are friends first is that there's instant chemistry between the leads because they are already in each other's lives and comfortable as friends. And then when the romance happens, you get the sweet yet awkward shift from friends to something more. I actually wrote a best friends to lovers romance. And one of the most fun scenes to write for me was the sex scene between these two people who had been friends since they were in their early teens and now in their 20s. They're going to see each other naked. (laughs) And it was like super awkward and funny. And then, of course, got really sweet and sexy. And so I like that shift. And we got to see that with A-Ra and Dong Man, that they were super comfortable with each other. And then when it shifted to romance, they were super awkward around each other and then got super sexy. Yeah, I think that's a great take. Because to me, I don't think that like... I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be like Billy Crystal from When Harry Met Sally with like, you know, men and women can't be friends. I have friends that are men, but I don't know if I always buy the friends to lovers trope so much. Like a lot of times I feel like if I'm reading, I'll be like, really? Like, 
you were just besties or just pals and there was nothing else. So maybe that makes me a hypocrite, but like it feels like a lot of times just like a very convenient setup and not very thoughtfully done. But this drama like definitely did it right. I feel like it made it believable. I totally bought that they did have this friendship. I do like that they acknowledge that at least for A-Ra's character, there had been feelings there that she just wasn't going to like admit because I think that's fairly natural. Yeah, so I felt like to me this was absolutely friends to lovers done right. And I'm a hard sell on friends to lovers. I just want to agree. I'm a hard sell with friends to lovers. I'm the same way. I don't typically find it kind of believable that like there weren't those feelings all along or, or something like that. But to me, this drama sold me on friends to lovers. I adored it. I thought it was done so well. Yeah, I think it's when you acknowledge maybe sometimes that there could be feelings. It just isn't like the time for it or people don't want to act on them. But like they're not robots that just never thought of each other right. that way ever. So this drama got more popular after Park Seo Joon starred in Itawan Class. Like I've read a couple of things online that like, you know, it's kind of having like a resurgence of like viewership. How do you think his performance compares here to some of his other dramas? So I haven't seen Itawan Class. I've only seen him in What's Wrong with Secretary Kim. So I loved seeing such a vastly different performance. He was really good in Secretary Kim as this arrogant chayball with big emotional boo-boos. And then in Fight for My Way, he's just this regular dude and an MMA fighter. Like, such broad ends of the spectrum. And he was awesome. Like, I loved him so much in this role. It was so fun to watch. Yeah, so his acting was phenomenal in Itawan Class, uh, which I did see. I, I've, I'm the only one who's seen that between the three of us. Park Sarawi is definitely an extremely unique character. I had some issues with that drama, Itawan Class, as a whole because of the script, but Park Seo Joon did his job and more with what he was given. I enjoyed his character more in Fight for My Way because I think Park Seo Joon has some great comedic timing, like fantastic comedic timing, which wasn't present in his Itawan Class character. And, you know, they're really vastly different. Like, it's almost hard to believe that the same actor played these two parts. In Itawan Class, as Park Seo-wee, he is a true alpha. He's the leader of the pack of misfits at his restaurant. He's reserved and determined and to win or succeed at all costs. Whereas in Fight For My Way, I think he's a beta. He's not really a leader. He's a fighter, but that's just because that's what he's good at. I mean, he's usually content to let Choye Ra, one of the most alpha female leads I've ever seen, by the way, take the reins in most situations. I haven't seen him in Itawan class, but I've seen him be the chable in Secretary Kim and also in She Was Pretty, which were both fun, but different roles. But I do feel like, so I've seen Midnight Runners, which is a Korean movie, which I really, really loved. And I feel like his character in Fight For My Way is probably closest that I've seen so far to his character in Midnight Runners, which has like a moral code and compass, but also kind of working class. And also like Megan just acknowledged like, like that comedic timing. I think that's what makes him really fun for me is that like he looks the way he does. He's got like the physicality that he does. And like the cameras definitely don't shy from that. You know what I mean? Like he's got the bod. But yet he, I'm trying to think of like, because I feel like there's like some Hollywood actors that kind of have like the same vibe, like Ryan Reynolds, you know, like, so, like people that are like very good looking, but also very funny. And it's just a really enjoyable combination to watch as like a, you know, a viewer who likes eye candy, but also appreciates like less the Van Damme aspect of things and more <laughs> <laughs> and more just kind of like, yeah, I mean, give me like a sexy guy with like a really good sense of humor. And it's like, a you know, like seal the deal. 
He's very funny in Secretary Kim too. Yeah, his comedic timing is great. And I think that you would like Secretary Kim, Megan. Like yes. we've talked about this a lot of times that like it probably should be a deep dive later on because I do think it's a very fun drama, even though, yeah, I have some minor issues with, you know, the last few episodes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's on my list. It didn't change my life, but it's like a nice piece of candy. It is. So, you know, this drama, much like Coffee Prince, which we did last week, is set in that new adult period of young adulthood. So, you know, they're not young or high school age, but they're not really like full-fledged adults yet. And what are some of those relatable life lessons that stuck out for you from the drama? Figuring out your dream later in life, both... Kodong Man and Choi Era are nearing 30 and still haven't found their way. See, it comes back to that perfect title that Megan brought up that this is really an apt title. And they show us that it's okay to figure things out on our own timeline. And just like to relate it to my own experience, I didn't start writing with serious intent to try and publish until my mid 30s. And part of me was like, what am I doing? But luckily, another part of me was like, you better do this or you'll always wonder if you could have. And I think that's what we saw with both Dong Man and A-Ra is they both had kind of settled into their lives and just having jobs and not having a career that they were passionate about until an opportunity presented itself and both of them kind of thought, all right, maybe I still can have this dream and maybe I still can be what I thought I was going to be 10 years ago, but it never happened kind of thing. And so I really liked that aspect of just because you don't achieve your dream on what looks like it's everybody else's timeline that you can still try it later. Yeah. I mean, I think that when you're younger, you think that your life or your career will kind of continue to go on this like steady upward graph. You know what I mean? Like it's just going to keep going up or whatever. And that's not the way, (laughs) it's not the way things work. And I mean, that was something that I had to know that there's dips and setbacks and, and all kinds of stuff. And even now, like, I don't know what's going to happen in 10 years or 20 years from now. I could have more setbacks. I could take things in another direction. Like, I don't really know. So I think that this drama does show that. Yeah, I feel like it speaks a lot to what I do in my day job. So my day job, I work for career success at the University of California, Santa Cruz. And part of my role is doing experiential learning and working with students to kind of like identify how, yeah, like goals and plans like very rarely come in like a linear form, right? Like a lot of things end up happening due to happenstance. And there is like an element of like hustle and creativity that has to happen and just realizing that like like, you know, sometimes detours and segues and setbacks aren't always a negative, even though they may feel very much a negative in the moment. You know, when we all have like plans in our head and an expectation of how we think the next step is going to go. And when it changes, it can really like be a gut punch. But, you know, often, you know, I'm going to butcher this quote from Chloe, but you know, what is it about like getting on like the wrong train and it can take you to the right place? Like that can often happen. And like that can be something that like you, if you're willing to like embrace that like the nature of like the fact that life is flux. And I think that, yeah, there was something there deeper that the screenwriter was trying to share because I feel like he is such a smart writer and is like touching on these like kind of like deeper universal truths. And I feel like that was something that he was kind of showing that like, yes, these setbacks happened, but because of these setbacks, they actually took the characters to where they really needed to go. What motivates the four major characters and how does that affect their characterizations? So I feel like a broken record here, but for Aaron and Dongman, it's this idea of dreams and it's this idea of, you know, achieving or chasing after that dream later in life, which I really loved. And 
you know, fighting for their way and not letting the mistakes of the past dictate their future because they both were kind of holding on to the past and letting that be the reason why they were sort of stagnant in their lives at the moment. And then for the second leads who I loved, Kim Ju Man and Bex Sol Hee, I think they both lost their motivations once they settled into their relationship. Like it was brought up earlier that they keep talking about marriage, but then something keeps happening and they use finances as an excuse. And, you know, all these different excuses come up why they haven't fully committed to each other yet. And I think this is portrayed so, so well, like to see this couple who's like, sort of in the thick of their relationship and they forgot what they were fighting for until Juman messes up and is forced to fight for Solhi and Solhi learns to fight for herself. That is something that she hasn't done for a long time. And, you know, she was living more for the relationship than for herself. And when they had their setback and had to sort of change their route. So going to what Leah just said about, you know, the train, when the train takes you in that different direction and you sort of embrace that direction, it was all done so well, I think, with all four of the leads. And I really loved it. So Choi A-Ra gets brought up a lot as a character who is like an Aegyo queen. So, you know, what's Aegyo and how does she wield it with such effect? So Aegyo is pretty popular in K-pop. So I see idols do it often, especially when fans request it. It was something completely new to me as like a celebrity thing, I guess. So Aegyo is basically when a man or woman behaves in a cute way. So it's usually with like a higher pitched voice, kind of in a like a little bit of an affected way. Sometimes they might like lisp or kind of, you know, change how they form words. Even sometimes what we might call like baby talk. Sometimes they make cute gestures and it's often a little flirty too. It's kind of hard to explain Aegyo just because it's done really differently like and it's kind of meant to like be you know like each idol will kind of do it their own way I mean in a way I've been doing Aegyo in my own way for over a decade (laughs) when I want my husband to do something for me (laughs) so Choi A-Raw uses it when she's trying to get her way with Dogman and usually he caves mostly because he cringes and wants her to stop although I think he secretly thinks she's cute. And I love the scene where he does Aegyo back to her. It's truly one of my favorite uh-huh. K-drama scenes ever, just because props to like super handsome, muscled out Park Seo-joon for going like all in with Aegyo. Like he does not hold back. He makes the facial expressions and everything. And it totally takes her off guard. There's like several of his friends around them and they're just like groaning hard because it's just... It's so cringy, but yeah, it's really fantastic. So I can see why she's called the Aegyo Queen. All right. Well, now it is time for our favorite part of the episode. It's our K-Rec of the Week. And today we've got Megan with a new K-pop rec. And Megan, also maybe give a shout out to the Spotify playlist that you put together too, because it's amazing. Yeah. So someone actually asked this on our Instagram, I think. They asked if we could make a Spotify playlist. And I had, it was like literally on my to-do list. I did want to do it. So basically I made an After Nuna Delight playlist. So that's the title, After Nuna Delight. I did mention on Instagram, I'll make a post and I'll include a link in the show description. But basically right now, I just put on only the songs that I've wrecked so far. So I usually wreck a K-pop song, you know, every third episode or so. So it's a little short right now, but I think I'd like to kind of keep it to the songs that I wreck on the pod for now. So anyway, please check it out. And the song that I am, well, actually I should say when I was making the playlist, I realized that I do not have an NCT song listed. And that is just a travesty because NCT is 
the group I first got into when I started listening to K-pop. So NCT can be a little confusing. I'm not going to get into it, but they have a lot of different subunits, let's say. And the song I'm going to recommend this week is Make a Wish by NCT U. So that's NCT is like one word and then U is another one. And it's one of their like subunits. I love the music video. It is so fun. It's so catchy. My kids love it. My daughter sings along every single time I put it in the car, even the Korean words that she tries to form. It's adorable. But anyway, it's just a fantastic song. So again, NCTU, make a wish. Well, we have now finished up our non-spoiler general like conversation about the drama, and we're going to be pivoting over to the spoiler section. So if you have not seen Fight For My Way and you don't want to know anything about the plot, this would be your time to jump off the pod and come back hopefully once you've seen it because it's really good and you should watch it. But if you don't mind spoilers or you've seen the drama, then stay on because we are going to move forward into a more deep divey conversation with real spoilers, 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 spoilers. Did I say spoilers? <laughs> All the spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> So A-Raw and Dongman, as we have said already multiple times, have really solid chemistry. What's a favorite couple moment of yours from the drama? I think my moment is before they are even a couple. And I think this just shows how good their chemistry is. And it is when I believe A-Ra has just had like a really terrible interview for an announcer position. They basically told her right off that she's not qualified and is not, you know, the person for the job. And she's upset and she's crying and they're sitting outside and she doesn't want anybody to see her cry. So he puts his jacket over her head so that she can cry in public without anybody seeing her. And it is just the most endearing and loving thing, I think. And I mean, it looks silly, but it's super lovely. And you know full on that this is going to, you know, this couple's going to have a romantic arc. And even when they are just best friends, you can see so well how they're going to work out as a couple and that it's going to be just fantastic. So I thought this was a great precursor to what they would be like once they finally admitted their feelings for each other. I just want to say I love that scene so much. It made my heart ache. It was so wonderful. It's like he totally gets her. And that's the thing that about friends and lovers that something about that trope that you don't get in other tropes is that they just know each other so well. So yeah, like I said, truly, they have some of the best chemistry Park Seo-joon and Kim Ji-won. I adore them together. So I love the moment where he's, it's like the night before a fight. And she gives him kisses, kind of like, it's sexy, but it's actually more just like sweet. But when I word it this way, because she gives him kisses all over his like body for protection. And that maybe sounds like, I don't know what it sounds like, but it's more just done in a really sweet way. And that's one thing about this drama is there are multiple physically intimate scenes between this couple like a rarity for a k-drama but they were sexy but they were also sweet and it felt really real to me so i love a lot of the moments we got where it was just two of them alone like laying in a bed even fully clothed just talking to each other i really love seeing that kind of quiet vulnerability for me i think it's episode 10 and it's like the first kiss i guess i just love first kisses but you know he kisses her and then he says he doesn't do flings which i also just love because dog man it's just so great and i don't mind a guy that does flings but i just love that like he immediately is like i don't do flings like i've kissed you and i want to date like he's such a straight shooter and she just kind of like nods in this daze and then he's like okay so we're dating and i want to do it again 
And then I think I've talked about this, I think maybe in our endings, but I love how she says what, how she's like, all the time, like her little like lips. I don't know. There's something really just endearing about how she does it. And so she kind of like does that. And then he kisses her like a damn man because Park Seo-joon is a great K-drama kisser. He truly is. Oh my God. Up there with Ji Chang-wook. Yeah. He just goes right in. I was going to say, I think that's one of the things I want you to see, Megan, about what's wrong with Secretary Kim, because part of his character arc is that he can't touch other people. Like, he doesn't touch other people. He can't have physical touch. And then when things do finally kind of gel with Secretary Kim, oh my God, the physicality of his kissing is just beyond my wildest dreams. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. So how do you feel about the landlady's character? Honestly, I loved her as the landlady when she was just the landlady. I did not love how she ended up being A-Ra's mom who disappeared because she was an adult film star who didn't want to dishonor her daughter. I know honor is a large aspect of South Korean familial relations and that this kind of relates to filial piety, which we discussed in our Camellia pod, but it's kind of reversed with the parent honoring the child or not wanting to dishonor the child. I think it's great she didn't want A-Ra to grow up with the stigma of being the daughter of an adult film star, but it also meant A-Ra growing up without a mother period. Something that has been a source of A-Ra's emotional boo-boos since she was old enough to understand that she didn't have a mom. And I think coming off of having watched Camellia before this and seeing what a wonderful portrayal Im Sang-chun did of the mother-daughter relationship, that it was really weird to see this. So I don't mind the storyline as much as I do the hyperspeed at which it was resolved. So there was no deep conversation between A-Ra and her mom, no acknowledgement of what really happened. Just A-Ra learning the truth, telling Lady Huang that it was easier to accept her mother as dead than as having left, and then in the next episode, deciding to call her mom. It was rushed, and it didn't seem necessary to me. And I I think I already mentioned that earlier, that the whole storyline didn't really seem necessary to me for the entire drama. Absolutely. To me, it was a totally WTF unnecessary plot point. So I felt like the writer wanted to have some sort of like a C plot to balance out like the A plot, which was the main lead romance, and then the B plot of like the second male lead story. But I felt like this was a poor choice, like where to invest time and energy with the script. And for me, on a personal note, I think I would have liked to have seen more exploration of the coach the coach for Dong Man because he and his blood sausage cart side business were more interesting to me. And I just felt like I would have liked to have seen a more substantial plot kind of anchored to him as opposed to this mom. And while I'm just quibbling on things I didn't like, because this drama did, I think, do what it did right, really right. And then what it did wrong, really wrong. I didn't like the clingy ex-girlfriend plotline either. It did nothing for the drama, in my opinion. You know, I think they gave her a decent resolution and she wasn't like this horrible person by the end. It just didn't feel like we needed to have that conflict and invest energy in that character. And it honestly felt a bit cheap to have it. I just want to point out that the actor who plays the coach, Kim Sung-oh, he is in Secret Garden and he plays Hyun Bin's secretary, Kim, and he was really fun. He's part of the, I guess, B or C plot, but he was really, really funny and I liked him a lot. And I did like him a lot in this too. And the the blood sausage cart would have loved to have seen more of him. I loved him. Yeah, I loved him. I agree 100%. I would have liked more on him and also 100% agree about the ex-girlfriend plot. That's one of my huge pet peeves is like the easel ex-girlfriend. I mean, I did appreciate that there, again, as Leah said, there was some decent resolution, but she was pretty nasty. 
like I never saw like what did we gain in terms of like an arc for Dongman for that that he like dated a girl once that sucked and like she could have gotten in the way of the relationship that he could have had with Aira earlier I don't know I was like it's felt pointless I never liked the evil ex-girlfriend plot it seems very contrived to me and it felt very contrived in this and the screenwriters too good and I've written them. I just realized I've done Evil Ex-Girlfriend in one of my books. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't think any drama could get as terrible as 1% of something when it comes to Evil Ex-Girlfriend. Just for the record, that has the worst Evil Ex-Girlfriend plot that ruined the entire drama for me. I know there are some people who really like that drama. I'm glad it worked for you overall. But that plot point, because I hate it so much, ruined the whole thing for me. So at least Fight for My Way wasn't that bad. <laughs> no. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. So do you think the ending between A-Ra and Dong Man worked? And do you think their HEA is believable and well-earned? So Megan talked about her dissatisfaction with the ending in our endings episode. And what I think is funny is I think knowing about it up front kind of did the same thing as knowing about the ending of Coffee Prince for you, Megan, where you weren't as sort of thrown by the fake out at the end of Coffee Prince. So I kind of felt the same. It was a little silly for A-Ra to break up with Dong Man for not refusing to fight, but still announcing the fight. But... I feel like she made up for the silliness by staying true to character and actually not facing the octagon while Dong Man fought until she decided that since she was there, she needed to be there for him and to truly be present for him. And to be honest, it actually kind of worked for me. Yeah. So I want to say, first of all, that I do believe their HEA is believable and well-earned, like by far. Like I totally see these two making it work and they worked hard for it. So I just, I didn't love this breakup. And I do think you're right. So I had known the ending of Coffee Prince, as I said in the last episode. So when it happened, it, I didn't really mind it. So maybe because, yeah, like you knew about it, it didn't really like hit you the way it hit me. So basically the whole idea is that, so Dong Man has a fight, which actually I said it wrong in that episode, by the way. So it's not blindness. He basically has a fracture, a small fracture to skull and he temporarily goes deaf and he does regain his hearing but the doctor says you know if you get hit really hard again you could lose your hearing permanently and of course a-ra is like don't fight why would you fight why would you risk this and he was like like i get that you don't fully understand it but i like i need to do this he has to fight his nemesis it's, you know it's a whole plot like that makes sense to me so basically she's like if you fight i'm gonna break up with you and he's like i'm sorry i realize i'm gonna lose you but i gotta do this fight so she breaks up with him because the whole point is she says i don't want to watch you like i don't want to watch you hurt yourself but she still wanted to hang out with him like they lived in apartments across from each other so she still wanted to hang out with him all the time she would like bring him food she would try to like go get a drink with him and i'm like if you didn't want to watch him kind of like put himself through this again then why you know why are you around him and it would have made more sense to me if she completely separated herself or quietly did things for him maybe without him really noticing just because she loved him and wanted to help him through the fight but i guess more than anything i didn't believe that a Ra's character would break up with him when he was gearing up for such a monumental moment in my life this was really important to him and she knew it and i guess i felt like she checked out when he really needed the support and again i don't think she would do that. Like the Choi A. Ra that I thought the drama was setting us up for wouldn't have done that. So that's just my opinion, though. I didn't hate the ending. That was just like a minor quibble because when it came time to the very end, she was there for him. And it was a great moment at the end when, you know, they finally get back together. But that's just what I thought about it. And what do you think about the second couple's reconciliation? 
Overall, I truly loved this couple because it was really fun to see a relationship that was already in the works and had been for six years. And then they got to the saggy middle and it fell apart. And they both changed and grew before coming back together. And I talked about it a little bit earlier. I love that we got to see Solhi basically not live for Juman anymore live for herself. And so she basically got to come into her own before even thinking about forgiving him. And I really liked that about this. And I feel like I'm kind of mixed. So I totally loved this couple individually. Like I really related to both of these characters and enjoyed them and their like flawed mess. It kind of also reminded me a little bit for very different reasons. So, okay. (laughs) They remind me a little bit of the second lead couple in Coffee Prince. However, they had nothing in common with them. It's just like that messy, like it felt very realistically messy. And so part of me is happy that they ended up together because I like HEAs and romance, but there's another part of me that kind of wanted them to stay apart with like some sort of a friendly reconciliation. And that's unusual for me to have that feeling. But I felt like Seol, he was on her way to becoming this like badass businesswoman after trying to play house for years. And Juman got to learn that like, you know, when kittens get stuck in a tree, they're going to figure out how to get down on their own and stop being this like manly savior to like have personal validation, which I felt like was a big part of his arc, honestly. So yeah, in the end, I do, I mean, I can live with the fact that they got together. I think it feels real. And I like believe that these characters would go on to have like a good life together. But there is part of me that like, it would have been slightly interesting to me. And I wouldn't have been unhappy if they had stayed apart and went their separate ways. What's one last thing you want to share about this show? As I say, anyone noticed, but actually Leah, that Jangi Jin, played by Pyo Yi Jin, is the other Secretary Kim from What's Wrong with Secretary oh, Kim. So she's yes. the one, the intern, who was trying to claw her way into Juman's life. I kept looking at her. I'm like, why do I know her? Why do I know her? And she was... So in Secretary Kim, Megan, when Secretary Kim decides that she's quitting, that's not a spoiler. Like, that happens at the beginning. They hire a new girl to replace her and sort of shadow her. And she's also Secretary Kim. So there was like Secretary Kim and Secretary Kim. And it was funny. And... Yeah, and so that was the actress who played the intern in Five My Way. Oh, the seducing intern? The seducing intern, yes. Man, she was, to a degree, I'm like, girl, give it up. He's really not sending you mixed signals. He's truly not. Like, have some dignity. I know. (laughs) I did not like that. With the evil ex-girlfriend and then the evil, like, you know, wannabe homewrecker. Yeah. But anyway. Look, and I think I get both of them being problematic. And I also, I'm just going to like give my bae Im Sang Chun some like some leeway in writing this because I have done both of these type of characters. And I think it's because when you're plotting sometimes, you know, and I, I'd like to think that like we grow as writers. So I'd like to think I would not writing those characters so much now and in the future. However, I can see why he also made those choices because sometimes they just work within like setting up the plot and look writing is tricky and we're like trying to like create and like build these worlds and so sometimes having these characters I do think it speaks to more of a I mean and look I'm putting my own bias on it because of me but like I feel like it speaks more towards like a more novice writer and so I like I kind of give him a little bit of a hall pass for it too because I think it's like a bit of a novice writer mistake as you're trying to like create some of the conflict we saw him grow in Camellia so yeah absolutely right so hopefully I'll grow in my new book (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I really felt like this was, yeah, this was like him figuring out how to do conflicts. And yeah, I write stuff like this too. I mean, absolutely. Because not every book's going to be like a home run. Like I don't write one book every five years that's like a New York Times bestseller or anything. Like I'm writing, you know, quick plots and things like that. So yeah, I, I guarantee I make mistakes and everything. But I mean, overall, because was this his first drama then? I think this was. Because he's only done actually two full dramas, and this was the first one, and Camelia was pregnant. It's fantastic. I mean, of course, the cast is amazing, so that helps. Yes. Yeah. But I think, like, Dong Man really, like, sums up to me, like, what this writer's capable of is, like, creating Dong Man and also A-Ra. But, like, really, Dong Man, I felt like, is, like, the emotional heart of the show. Absolutely. Oh, he has so much heart. Oh, God. I just, I love him so much. And he's so protective of her. I did see a little bit of some criticism that Dong Man was maybe a little too aggressive with her. There was one point where he, like, rips out her ponytail because he, I forget why, and I don't know, I read some like things about that, that he thought he was too aggressive. But if you actually watch the whole drama, I, I don't think he is. Because again, I think he's pretty beta. I think there's part of him that is treating her kind of like he doesn't quite know what to do with his feelings. So he's teasing her in a way that he always teased her like when they were kids. And he doesn't quite get that these feelings are because he clearly is confused by his feelings for her like that. I think they show that pretty well that he's like not sure if it's evolving into more. So, you know, I don't think he's I don't know, like alpha aggressive in any way. I think he's just kind of being a confused boy man. Yeah, I agree. And because the, they've always been super physical with each other Correct. as friends. You know what I mean? Like when they do flashbacks to when they were kids, like she was the one who kind of pushed him around and stuff like that, which is, holds true to her character as an adult. So no, the ponytail thing did not bother me at all. And in fact, like I didn't even remember it until you just brought it up. Like I didn't think twice about it. So I think, yeah, I do think it's just them acting the way to each other like they always have since they were children. Yeah, because Toy A Raw is pretty physical with everyone. I really love the scene where Dong Man is training with a, another like fighter. And that guy is really pummeling Dong Man. And A Raw's like, I want to try. And she kind of like, she does egg yo and gets in the ring. Yeah. She does egg yo and she. She puts on these gloves and the guy's like, oh, this little girl, you know, and he's like, come on, try to hit me. And she's like, like this, like this, these like little punches. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden she's like hauls back and wallops him like right in the face. She like makes his nose bleed and he's like freaking out. And Dong Man, <laughs> this is what I loved about their relationship is she would do stuff like that for him all the time. She would defend him. He didn't really stick up for himself a lot, but he's like basically like so proud of her. Like, you know what I mean? He was never like. And he's in his horrible clothes. Oh, his clothing. Yeah, his can we talk about his clothing choices? Are just the worst. They are. So dorky. And he is. He's just so. And he's like. He never felt emasculated by her. And I think that's one of the reasons I loved him so much. It did remind me of Young Sick, to be honest. Like, you could not emasculate Young Sick. And I think Dong Man's the same way. When both of them had terrible wardrobes and were still hot as fuck. <laughs> right? What is it with? You're right. Both of them did. That's so funny. Yeah. Dong Man had the worst shirts. And he also had, like, his hair was dyed a terrible color. The entire drama. And he was still hot as hell. Like, props to putting this guy in a fighter role where he had to have his shirt off all the time. That's another thing, too. His first fight, they were like, you have to take your shirt off. And he's like, but there are women here. And they're like, yeah, dude, take your shirt off. And he's like covering his pecs. It was so freaking cute. Like, I just love Dogman so much. He's one of my favorite characters. 
I would never like MMA, like fighting just is like, so not a thing I'm interested in, like in my neighborhood, like, you know, my kids did jujitsu as a sport. And like, you know, we know some like families connected to the sport that like, you know, when like, there's like ultimate fighting, they'll like, you know, I guess you can like pay per view to watch fights. And it's like a whole thing. And look, like, that's fine. It's just like, I would honestly... I don't even know, like peel potatoes, like I just could care less. And so like, that is not like a selling point to me. And I know sometimes like in romance, they'll be like, ooh, the MMA fighter. And I'm always like, uh, like, that's like, it's almost like being like, you are a rock star like I just it's one of those things I'm just like no and yet here we have like such and I realized it's probably because like I find that like overly alpha like alpha hole kind of like oh blah I'm a big man beating up people like I could care less and like whatever but this just had so much heart to it and nuance that you know the fighting was really just like a metaphor for so many other things I guess I'm at the point where if you're listening to this you've already been spoiled but yeah I feel like if you were like ever put off by like something like that I mean this is where K-drama constantly surprises me with like showing me I like elements of things I would just never like so it's my own good like reminder that you know life isn't fixed and rigid I did think it was interesting that Im Sang Chun talked about how most of the MMA fighters he realized, or most fighters, they actually do live a really kind of like monk life. And it's true. A lot of them don't drink. They don't necessarily sleep around. Most of them are just like married. They live really quiet lives. A lot of them don't seem to feed into this like image of an MMA fighter. They're just good at fighting. And, you know, they're not all Conor McGregor's who are just flashy who do feed in in my opinion sorry connor could kick my ass but i do think he feeds into like the image if anyone knows who connor mcgregor is but then there are tons of them there's a guy named dustin poitier i think is his last name and i've read a little bit about him and he's just a super like he's just a family man he's just like a nice dude he's just really good at fighting kind of reminds me a little bit of yeah dong man so as far as a book wreck, I think I'm the only one in this pod who reads MMA fighting <laughs> books sometimes. I got to be in the mood for them. And it's been a long, long time since I read this book. It came out in 2013, and I read it in 2013. <laughs> but it is called Against the Ropes by Sarah Castile, who is a fantastic writer. I actually met her at a signing and have a signed book of hers somewhere. So because it's been so long since I read it, I will read the blurb. It was a publisher's weekly top 10 pick for romance and erotica. He scared me, he thrilled me, and after one touch, all I could think about was getting more. Michaela never thought she'd set foot in an elite mixed martial arts club, but if anyone needs a medic on hand, it's these guys. Then again, at her first sight of the club's owner, she's the one feeling breathless. The man they call Torment, yes, <laughs> they call him Torment. It's so great. He's yes. all sleek muscle and restrained power. Whether it's in the ring or in the bedroom, he knows exactly when a soft touch is required and when to launch a full-on assault. He always knows just how far he can push, and he's about to tempt Michaela in ways she never imagined. I mean, just a perfect romance blurb. I mean, that has all the keywords you can imagine. But anyway, it's called Against the Ropes by Sarah Castile. It is a series of five books. And like I said, Sarah's a fantastic writer. It is published by Sourcebooks, and I recommend it. We're going to end up doing a deep dive soon on Move to Heaven, which Leah and I both have finished already. And there's an underground MMA fighter in that one. So who knew? Nightmare is the code name. <laughs> no, is it really? Yep. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, that kind of stuff, that underground fighting is just... And he has a mullet and he's still hot. I've seen the pictures. A mullet and terrible clothes. <sighs> Although the mullet and that is weirdly hot. It is. So what are we all watching? 
I'm about to start hospital playlists. Leah has been talking up hospital playlists so much this past week that I'm like, all right, that is next on my list. So I haven't started it yet, but that is going to be what I watch tonight. And I am trucking along with hospital playlists too. Again, here is a drama that A, the title wouldn't have captured me because it sounds incredibly dull. Like I've never sought out medical shows. Like I watched some house back in the day, like when it was on, but like, you know, Grey's Anatomy and none of that. Like I just, you know, Scrubs is like my worst nightmare of a show. Like I just didn't watch medical stuff. Yeah, I don't either. That's why I'm a little turned off of it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Nope. Doesn't matter. Okay. I trust you. I just got to keep saying doesn't literally matter. It is has some friends to lovers potentially in it. Again, not necessarily a fave. Doesn't matter. I don't like rock bands. And these are five best friends who not only are doing medicine, but also in a band together. (laughs) Doesn't matter. So like I take everything I would say, no, 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 no. And I don't know what it was. I think I was just getting hype and I just decided to like try it a little bit. And let me just give you a really quick, Megan, like, okay two second sales pitch and the very first episode. So it's five like best friends from college who like now work in the same hospital. One of the characters is a single dad and the son puts super glue on the inside of a Darth Vader helmet. And the dad puts it on to play with his kid and gets the Darth Vader helmet stuck on his head. But he's also like a renowned liver transplant surgeon. So he goes to the hospital to try to get the helmet taken off his head and he's like totally humiliated because he's like got a Darth Vader helmet stuck on his head then there's like an emergency and he has to do a surgery and so he has to do the surgery wearing the Darth Vader helmet (laughs) and he even puts like the little like cap that you have to wear like in surgery over the top of the helmet I mean Leah told me that and that sold me I was like oh I'm watching that next like that's all I needed to hear It is funny. It's quirky. It's hilarious. It can be really poignant. And then like these five friends, like I think they're all getting like their own subtle romance. So that's nice. Now some are overt. And it's really even the music, like when they play the music, like it's lovely. And they actually all play like they learned how to play. Some of them were already musicians. And then like the female character I know is actually a very famous musical theater actress. And she taught herself to play bass for it. I love that you love this drama that has a band because you freaking hate singing. Like you hate singing in books, like right? Like you don't like I hate lyrics in books. I like musicals, but I hate when books, I very, 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 I don't even think of any time I can think that I've liked somebody putting lyrics in a book. I think it's always cringy and horrific and 100%. like self-indulgent. No, no, I agree. I agree. Sorry, I agree. sorry, sorry. But it. I agree. I think I did. And I think I did it. I'm trying to think. I feel like I did it. Oh, I might have done it. It's so cringy, but I might have done it. I do cheesy stuff sometimes. And like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, sometimes you've got to add something to your plot. (laughs) Yeah. I've had the evil ex-girlfriend. So you know what I mean? Like, I don't think I've gone full lyrics, but I'm sure. I mean, I've done some cringy, cringy (laughs) shit. So... And I'm between dramas and so I just, I don't know. I think I might start a, like a comedy next. I don't know. I really want to watch My Roommate is a Gumio. I also am kind of waiting to hear what people are thinking about Doom at Your Service. I don't know. Leaving my options open, but I'll get there. So what are we doing next week? Okay, I am so excited for this one. So we recently did a Heroines podcast. This is going to be Heroes of K-Drama, but we are going to be doing marry mate and murder so having to really just torture ourselves 
and come up with, you know, who are we going to murder out of like a hero that we've seen in a drama? Who do we want to mate with the most? Also an incredibly challenging task. And then who's marriage material? Also an incredibly challenging task. So hard. Oh my gosh. So hard. So I am so excited because I really, truly right now don't know who I'm going to pick. I have some ideas, but I'm not sure. To make this easier and less torturous, I think we need to stick with heroes, not second male leads. Agreed. Because, you know, I would we could do a separate one for yes. second male leads, but I think let's stick with heroes. Yep, that works. Oh, I cannot wait. This is like the best job. <laughs> I, know. I know. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. And I think ahead of time, we, we can ask viewers to weigh in too. Listeners, I mean. Yeah, this is a hard one. It's got to be heroes and it's got to be dramas you've seen. All right. Well, that wraps things up for today. Thank you for listening, everybody. And what do we say? Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong! <laughs>